1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about communion. Paul had to lay a lot of, he had to set a lot of things straight, had to lay a lot of, of ground and foundation even, and almost redo foundations to the church and the Christians at Corinth. They, they, they had a lot of issues, a lot of messed up things going on in the church, and one of the things is they were abusing communion. Um, and as I mentioned a moment ago, we've been doing this for years and years. The first Sunday of every month here at Covenant, we participate in communion. And only on rare occasion have I ever actually taught on it. Sometimes I'll weave it in just a little bit before we partake of communion. But I'm just really led to interject this today. And uh, because there is, there, you talk about so much depth and revelation about communion, it, it's, it's, it really it is, it's almost fathomless when you begin to scale the heights and, and plumb the depths of everything that's covered in communion. And we go through it, Christians as a whole, I'm not speak, singling you out and us out, I think if anything, we as a church as a whole, we, we spend more time than most, and I'm saying we're better than anyone else by any means, we spend more time on communion than most churches ever do. How many of you, you grew up partaking communion, it was almost just a ritual. It was just, okay, here we go, bam, right? And, and, and I wasn't like that in the, in the church background I'm from, which is a classical Pentecostal environment, is that I'm going to tell you one thing, one thing that was taught there was the power of the blood of Christ. One thing that was taught there also was the power of your faith in God through Jesus Christ. And uh, anyway, so, so from the time I was a child, I understood the sincerity, and hear me out on this, and the severity of communion. The sincerity of it, you never do it glibly, you never do it in a trite manner, you never just kind of gloss over it. As a matter of fact, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 11, I don't plan on going there though, but I, let me just mention this. Paul had to bring this out, of course the Holy Spirit brought, him, brought it out from his spirit. He had to bring out to the church of Corinth, because I mentioned a moment ago, they were completely abusing, abusing communion. Hence the severity of it. There's a good severity and a bad severity. Let's cover the bad severity real quick. Like, and that is they were coming, they were coming in to the house of the Lord, and communion had developed into a, a love feast, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, but what it what had it, it had evolved into is that it had become a, a food and drunken orgy. Not a sexual orgy, but a food and drunken orgy, okay? And it just adopted from the Romans. They were the progenitors of that. And uh, so anyway, the, you know, the, the uh, Corinthians, they definitely wanted to be more and more like the Romans, kind of like society today. Everyone wants to be like everyone else. Never could understand that. Talking to Brian before service like that. There, there, there are few originals in this world today. The vast majority of people are copycats and copyists. Very, very, very few trendsetters. trendsetters. Everyone, everyone follows the trend. So here's your challenge from, for your life from this point on. Why, why don't you be an original? Why don't you set the trend? How's that? But anyway, we just keep following. We keep regurgitating. We keep repeating everything else we keep doing and act like everyone else is doing everything. But anyway, because it takes courage, it takes a lot of boldness to be your own person. But anyway, enough of all that. So, which you guys are already, but let's just extend that in our life. So it, they, they, they were practicing complete gluttony. And they were getting drunk and then participating in communion. And then also the thing about it is there were a lot of schisms. That's one of the major issues of the church of Corinth, a lot of divisions. And you had, you had this classism. And in the church of Corinth, 
first century, you had classism, you even had identity politics, you had identity leaders, which is still prevalent in the body of Christ today, you had identity leaders in the church at Corinth. That's why when Paul brings it out this way, then he enlarges upon it, if you study that thoroughly, he says, one of you say you're of Peter, one of you say you're of uh, uh, Apollos, and some say you are of, of, of Paul, and some say you are of Christ. That's why there's so many divisions and schisms among you. Basically, what had happened, they, 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 had, they had developed their own superstar Christian leader. So all, you had all that stuff going on. Back to the classism thing in the church of Corinth, you had some extremely wealthy people. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Everyone say amen to that, right? And then you had some very, very poor people in the church. Well, when, when they came in and were having these love feasts, because this, this, this is what communion evolved into, nothing was wrong with it, where... They had a large meal, not, not a uh, potluck, it was a pot bless, but everyone brought their own thing, and, and, and they didn't share with anyone even. It was just my own thing, and ain't nothing wrong with that to a degree either, but when you got, you got other people here, hardly having anything to eat, and you, had, and you had your lobsters flown in from Maine, and your grass-fed beef delivered that morning from the fields of Wyoming. Now, ain't nothing wrong with that, but if you got someone over here, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm the farthest person from a socialist you will ever meet or find. I despise socialism. I despise Marxism. I knew 25 plus years ago, I began to tell Christians about it. You used to even mention, weave it in my sermons. I said, eventually, you're going to see a socialistic form of gospel infiltrate and come to the forefront of, uh, of the body of Christ, and you're seeing it now. In, in the certain buzzwords and, and, and words, and it's, it's sad that those individuals who even use those, Christians, celebrity Christians who use those terms, is like you don't even know the root of them. You don't even know the history of them. It's like if you're going to teach somebody, you should at least know what you're saying, and then when you find out what you're saying, you probably won't be saying it to people because you realize it is anathema and completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But anyway, I'm the farthest person from a socialist or a Marxist by any means. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something wrong with people who have tons and who flaunt it and who don't even help the poor. The Bible makes it very clear that God will bless those who bless the poor. The Bible makes it very clear that when you lend, when you give to the poor, you just loan to God. And God will be indebted to no man. So every time you give to the poor, it's like saying, okay, God, you owe me now. Now, you don't give to the poor to say, okay, God, you owe me now. But I'm saying this is how... How, how powerful it is and important it is to the heart of God is that when you individually as a family, as a church body, give to the poor, God says, I'll repay you. I will pity those who pity the poor even, meaning I will show mercy, I will show kindness, I will show empathy and sympathy across the board of your life if you show that to those who are poor. Now, oh, I've got trailed off so much. Anyway, you had all these issues going on in the church at Corinth, right? So they're coming together for communion, and they're, they're having a good time, and other people aren't having such a good time, and they're almost embarrassed to, to, during those love feasts when, when communion is incorporated, and so they, they don't come to church anymore because they don't feel like, like they make enough money to come there. So they start seeking out churches that are made up predominantly of lower economic people on the socioeconomic scale. And that's not how it should be either. A church, first and foremost, should be this microcosm of at least this section, a pie section, if you will, 
of the kingdom of God. It should be a cross-section of the kingdom of God. There should be people of every walk of life. There should be rich and poor. There should be a lot of middle income. There should be blue collar, white collar, every kind of collar imaginable, no collar, whatever. There should be people with PhDs and people who didn't graduate high school but have done well by the grace and power of God in their life. There should be people who have come out of prison, who've come off of drugs, who've come out of prostitution, and some people who've lived for Jesus since they were one year old. So there should be people every walk of life. There should be black. There should be white. There should be Hispanic. There should be Asian. There should be every, every, every race, actually ethnicity, under the sun. A local church, regardless of its size, there should be at least some type of representation of all types of people, all walks of life. Amen? There are no big eyes and little U's at the foot of the cross. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? So, anyway, you had this issue going on. People gorging themselves. Now they're, now they're sinning in gluttony. Now they're getting drunk. And now they're partaking of communion. And then Paul deals with, listen, when you do this, when you, when you do this, and also when you come to communion, you got sin in your life, you're eating and drinking of the Lord's table unworthily, you're bringing damnation to yourself. You're bringing, you're bringing judgment. Remember that word damnation means judgment. Not that you go around saying, oh, damnation, damnation. You don't say, but you know where I'm coming from. Oh, you just said, I'm making a point. But anyway, it means judgment. So he's saying the King James Version, you're bringing damnation to yourself because, because there, there's a severity of the power of communion. That's the negative side. If you come to, and you come partake of communion and your, you, your hands are not clean, your heart is not pure. You know, it's like I, I've always done this. I, when I learned this one 35 years or so ago, and it's like, when David said this, Lord, deliver me and forgive me for presumptuous sins. The King James Version, I love that word, presumptuous sins, which is still applicable today. It's not arcane in the English language even today. So it's like, Lord, Lord forgive me if I'm not even aware of a sin I committed this week. Because, you know, there are the sins of commission and sins of omission. If you, you omitted it, you know, you, you really didn't know about it. It wasn't this willful thing, but you actually did something that wronged someone. Just cover yourself. Let me just help you with this. And I've, I've brought this out before as we partake of communion. It's just like, Lord, just for, if there's anything I'm not even aware of, if there's anything I'm not aware of, I want to I, I ask you to forgive me because I do not want to partake of communion unworthily. When you do that, there again, you bring damnation, you bring judgment to yourself. And Paul goes on to say, he said, that's why he's talking to the church of Corinth specifically and initially, but even to us today, back to the severity issue. This is how severe the power of communion is. He said, that's the reason why many among you are sick. Many among you also are weak. You're weak spiritually, you're weak physically, you're weak emotionally. Your life is weakened. And many among you, King James Version uses the word sleep. Many among you, meaning are dead. You, you have died prematurely. Not that the dead were still, you know, wouldn't like weekend at Bernie's or bringing people. And uh, Why did I go there? I, did, I was teaching on such a serious thing. But anyway, but many among you, you've died prematurely. People among us have died prematurely. And so many among us are weak live in a weak existence of Christianity, and many of you live in continual sickness. Now, there they go. That's in 1 Corinthians 11. 
You can substantiate that later if you want, or you can read it now and not listen to me. You can choose whatever you want to do. But anyway, bottom line is this. There's the severity of communion. Now, that, that's, that, that's the flip side that we don't fall into. Everyone say amen to that. Oh, good, good. That sounded like about 100%. I'm going to take it 100%. Let's look at the powerful, positive severity of it. When you partake of communion, there is, you, you've heard me say this many times, there is a fresh release of the power of Christ. There's a fresh release of the benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ into your body, into your mind, your soul, your spirit, into everything you put your hand to do. There's a fresh release of the covenant that you have with God through the efficacious blood of Christ. Every time you partake of communion, there is a renewal. There is a reviving. There is a refreshing. There is, in many regards, it's like, a new start all over again when you partake it worthily. There again, hand, hands are clean, hearts pure. David makes that very clear also. Those will ascend to the hill of the Lord. They shall obtain blessing of the Lord their God. The book of Psalms, when he talks about that very issue. So you're, you're, when you partake of communion, your hands are clean, hearts pure. If you're not sure, presumptuous sins there, we've dealt with that, right? So, and then you appropriate, you understand this, what it means by faith and you appropriate this, you're gonna, you talk about win-win. I mean, you know, you know I've said it, you've said it, we, we've heard people say it, uh, and it's so apropos, and it's this, is that Jesus has done everything for us. Amen. He has. Amen. Can we make that 100% and thank him for that? He's done absolutely, he's done absolutely everything for us. I mean, one of the reasons why you're alive, I'm alive here right now and born again, is because, yes, what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, then his death, then his burial, then his resurrection, but also what he did to keep us alive to get us to the place of salvation, repentance. And then since then, I don't know about you, but he's been really good to me ever since I got saved. And I've messed up since I got initially saved. As a matter of fact, a few times I had to get re-saved again because I fell short a few more times. And I blew it a couple more times. I got three honest people with me here today. And a couple times I, 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 I oh, anyway, you know where I'm coming from. But his mercy is renewed every morning. And he is faithful and just. If we just confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Somebody say cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There again, that's written to the Christian, not the sinner. So he's been good to us. He's provided everything. The Bible just kind of summarizes it. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything in this life... All, all of the attributes of God that he showers upon us, this life and the world to come, we've been given everything. So when we partake of communion, everything is encapsulated within those two elements. Now real quick, like, and I'm not here, not here to, to as I started off, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to provoke anyone. But if you came from a religious background, 
that taught you that when you partake of that wafer and drink of that cup that contains wine, that it is the literal body and literal blood of Christ. Well, I'm not here to provoke anyone. I don't want you to get mad at me, even though I won't really sleep over it. But we're on the same side here. But we need to understand this. That's not the literal body and blood of Christ. For what it's worth, the biblical doctrine, it's called, it's two things. It's the doctrine of transubstitution and also the doctrine of transinterpenetration. So here's what's interesting. I'm going to back up, okay? When I said that that is not, the el those elements are not the literal body and blood of Christ. That's anathema to the literal body and blood of Christ. I need at least eight weeks to teach on that and expand that thoroughly. Okay, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament. All, all, anyway, so bottom line, look. This, and hear me out on this. That's not the literal body and blood of Christ. It's more powerful than the literal body and blood of Christ. Now, depending on your religious background, because aren't you glad Christianity isn't a religion? It's a relationship with God through Christ. Now, that might have offended you what I just said, but I don't want it to offend you. I want you to stay with me on this. There again, it's not his literal body and his literal blood. It's more powerful than his literal body and his literal blood. That's why when you, and I need to teach on this at one time or another at least, it is the doctrine of transubstitution. So what is occurring now is by faith, that's how we got saved. How, 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 how do you know you're a Christian right now? It's still by faith, right? Because granted, something occurred in your heart and life, you asked Jesus to forgive you, you confess him as your Lord and Savior, right? Romans 10, 9. Bottom line, right? You fulfilled it, maybe not to the letter, but you fulfilled it in your heart and spirit. And you believe that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 9 again, then you'll be saved. Simple as that, right? So when you did that, you got born again. Now, since that time, you've made changes in your life. Now, some of us have, have had made a little more progress than others, but at least, at least we're making progress. Don't judge someone who hasn't made as much progress as you have. At least they're making some progress. At least they're saved. At least they're born again. And we help them. We encourage them. Because I don't know about you, there have been times in my life I didn't make much progress at all. I actually, I think I went a little backwards. That's why you call it backsliding. Anyone ever heard of that term, okay? So anyway, that occurs. But anyway, aren't you glad that by faith and His grace and mercy that you're born again? So how do you know that right now? Still by faith. Now, granted, because your life is living proof that you are a child of God. You walk different, you look different, you act different. There's something different about you. It's called, definitely, by all means, the old person passed away. All things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ, right? People who used to know you, they don't even recognize you anymore. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't think how you used to think. You don't act how you used to act. And even if you do on occasion, you at least repent and get right and keep moving forward, right? Amen. Bottom line. So anyway, now, how many of you, you can lift your hand if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. How many of you, but you better make sure you pay your taxes. But anyway, 
Anyway, how many of you have ever asked the Lord to do anything in your life to help you out, heal you, help your children out, get a job, be promoted on the job, whatever, whatever it is in life, carte blanche. How many of you have ever prayed and asked the Lord to do something you needed done in your life and, and, and it happened? Now, that's, that is how powerful trans-substitution is. Is because instead of the Lord Jesus Christ showing up literally by his spirit and omnipresence, it's where that kicks in underneath the, the, the uh, transubstitutionary. So it's transited into your life and it's substituted from the natural to the spiritual. Did we catch all that? you got to go to four years of Bible college to learn that, but I won't charge you anything extra at the end of the day. How's that? So anyway, so now because it, it, it transferred, if you will, they're transferred, and there is, there's a substitution, but the substitution has become more powerful than the original literal. I'm not remotely demeaning Christ. What I'm doing is exalting him even more because of this, because now he's in his glorified body. So see, therefore, you can't partake of the literal body and blood of Christ because that doesn't exist anymore. I'm enjoying this so much. But what does exist is his glorified body. He put a shadow of it, just and not full-orbed, but a shadow of it, a similitude of it on. You find that, see, back to this. Matthew 17, you should tell me what's in there. Mount of Transfiguration. You should know that, right? So in the Mount of Transfiguration, when he only took the closest of all three, because they were the true leaders of the twelve even, Peter, James, and John, the, the, the inner circle, if you will, he took them with him so they could see just a foreshadow of, of what his glorified body was going to be like. They couldn't even look upon him. And then, you know, Peter, which, you know, he's kind of presumptuous. He's always saying stupid stuff. But I've never done that. I know you never have either. But anyway, he said, oh, Lord, let's just build a church building right here. You know, we'll keep you. So anyway, anyway. So, so anyway, he showed them just a little glimpse of what was to come. Paul touches on that in the book of Ephesians about what the Holy Spirit has done. The Holy Spirit in your life, he's the earnest of the expectation. Meaning that word, anyone, anyone ever buy anything? You had to put some earnest money down, typically like a house usually. Well, see, that, that, that's, that's a down payment on what you're eventually going to step into, what you're eventually going to occupy. The Holy Spirit, now this all ties in with the trans-substitution issue and the spirit thing. The Holy Spirit, he's the down payment on the fullness of what you're going to inherit one of these days that you're going to walk into. How many of you have ever been blessed so much by God? He's healed you. He's touched you. He's communed with you. He's talked with you. Whatever it is, is that you feel, you feel like you're in the presence of Almighty God. That's the Holy Spirit just giving you an inkling of what's about to come when you get to heaven. So, so back to this. Jesus, there again, he's in his glorified body. It supersedes his natural body and blood. He's highly exalted now. That's why when he comes back, 
He will not come back meek and lowly and and born in a manger or setting on the colt of a donkey. He will come back on a white horse, triumphant, victorious, riding with the armies, which he is the Lord of hosts. He's the commander-in-chief leading the armies of heaven with him to vanquish the devil one last time. So that's who we're serving now. So when you partake of communion, instead of the literal, we have the spiritual. Which the spiritual, excuse me, instead of the natural, we have the spirit. The spiritual always supersedes the natural. I was reading this, studying this the other day, and man, it's like, wow, I, I had church all by myself. You ever had church all by yourself? Man, when you study, really read the word, you're not just, I mean, you study it. But anyway, Paul, he's talking about that very issue. Talking about the issue of, oh, my, 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 my. Talk, talk, talking about the issue about we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the excellency. The power may be of God and not of us. You know, it goes on and we're cast down, not forsaken, destroyed, not, and all of that. He's talking about what we have on the inside, but into the Holy Spirit representing Christ. Then he goes on to say this, that though our outward man perishes, meaning really, I, I, I know you know this, we don't like to talk about it, but, but every day, Every day, we're one step closer to death. I know we don't like to talk about it. That's why, I don't know why we're in such a big hurry for certain things to get here. Can I digress just a moment and help us with life in this regard? And then we'll get back to helping spirit. Why is it that everything is centered, everything is geared on focusing in the future? My future plans, my future dreams, next level I'm going to get to and all that. I'm not against that. I've taught on that from biblically-based principles. I've taught on that. It is applicable. But that should not be your foundation, your, your premise, your paradigm, your ethos of life. You need to learn to enjoy the moment now. You shouldn't always be planning and strategizing and thinking, oh, i got to do this, going to do this, I'm going to achieve this, going to accomplish that. There, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals and all that. I'm not contradicting myself. The issue is this. Yes, you need to to a degree, but you, you need to live in the moment. You need to enjoy every single moment. So many people are focused so far out there, they can't even enjoy what's going on in the moment around them. You need to learn to live in the now instead of living always in the future. That's why, you know, there's so many books written about it. It's like, ah, you know, I, I thumb through them real quick. Here, here's how I, I read a, most of those. It's like, yeah, okay, read that before. So anyway, it's like, really, the same old stuff? And everything's future, 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 future. Yeah, I'm, I'm into my future, too. I know you are, too. Main thing is Jesus is in my future. He's in your, too. It's like, what about now? What about the now? How about we learn to live in the now? We learn to enjoy the moment. We learn to extrapolate the moment. Because you'll never get that moment back. 
what just happened that you enjoyed with family and friends around dinner, around conversation, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get that back again just like that. That's why if you're like me, you take that with you into the future. So what's more important, the now or the future? Because if you can't enjoy the now, if you can't take something with you from the now into your future, why in the world do we need a future? I'm not trying to philosophize here. I'm just trying to give us just some things to live by that God wants to tell us. Is that Look, just, just yeah, Martha and Mary, one of them just so cumbered about many things. I love that word in the King James Version. You know, she just stressed out anxiety all over, you know. Mary chose the best part, the now. The now. I'm going to enjoy this now. I'm going to sit down and have my cooking now. I'm going to have this conversation now. No hurry. I don't want to hear anything bad. I don't want to hear anything negative. I don't want to hear anything scared. I don't want to hear anything. Little CCR lyrics right there just ran through my mind. Bother me tomorrow, because today I find no sorrow. Do, 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 looking out my back door. But anyway... I can preach anything. Anyway, so I, I love that lyric. Even when I hear it at time, from time to time, I love that lyric. It's like, you know, bottom line, he's saying, look, don't bother me with anything bad today. With all the negative stuff and the bad stuff and all of that kind of stuff, don't, no, 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 no. Bother me tomorrow with it. Because today, I'm finding no sorrow. Today, I'm enjoying the moment. I'm going to live in this moment. And do not crash my party. Amen. Tell a few people around you, don't crash my party. Don't crash my party. Oh, we got to get out of here. Hey, uh, Washington, you guys want to come up here? This will help prompt me and keep going. Back to this very issue. See, look, I haven't even read my text about communion. You see how, you see how deep this thing gets? It just, you talk about Layers. Layers after layers after layers. I was just going to bring this out to you just real quick like, still in, did you ever get to 1 Corinthians? I gave you plenty of time to turn there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. Paul, Paul rehearses what occurred that night. He said that night when they were gathered together, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. There again, that literally means this represents my body, which is broken for you. Are you there? Verse 24, this do in remembrance of me. Continue to say, verse 25, the same manner also he took the cup. And after they'd eaten, he said, after they'd partaken of that wafer, he said, this cup is a New Testament in my blood. New Testament, notice that, in my blood. This isn't my, it didn't say it's my blood. The New Testament, I'm, like, this, the new co- I'm establishing this new covenant, Word Testament, covenant, same thing. I'm establishing this new covenant, but it's in my blood. It will transcend time because it will go into the spirit. I will establish it in the natural, Christ was saying right there. there you go. I need four weeks just on this stanza. I will establish it in, in, by the natural because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin going all the way back to the book of Leviticus right? In fact, even Exodus, 
actually, specifically, Leviticus reiterates it time and time and time again. So Jesus is simply saying, I will establish it in the natural by my blood so that when it comes into the spirit, it will transcend time, it will transcend geography, it will transcend generations, it will transcend all things, all people, all places, all races, all ethnicities, all walks of life, rich, poor, middle class, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, my blood that will shift into the spiritual, which will be omnipresent and become omniscient because of the power of his blood, how we were saved, how we were saved. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.